Hi, this is Paul. It's just us today, Paul. I don't think it's been this way for at least 100 episodes. Well, you know, we're getting back to our roots today. You know, we told that Wayne to get the fuck off our podcast. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or, or, like, or perhaps he just didn't show up. I don't know. Well, I think what happened is giving him all those boxes for his birthday, those empty boxes, and telling him to pack his shit. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he got the hint. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, you know, and, what, and, and Tim, Tim's just a good guy. He knew that you and I needed our space. So he's like, hey, you'll take the weekend. So, you know, that, that's Tim. That's Tim. Yeah. So Aaron and I are having a romantic getaway. That's right. That's right. You know, uh, long distance. Yeah, checking out retirement <laughs> communities. <laughs> Now that so, the kids have left the nest. So, Paul, have you ever have you ever woken up from a dream and only remembered like a bit of dialogue, a, a snatch of your dream, you know, just a piece of it? You know, have you ever had that and it just kind of plagues you? Like, what what else was going on in that dream that I don't recall? Yeah, I mean, I quite often remember the snatch of my dreams and stop it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I woke up this week and all I can remember is is me yelling out one thing in anger. You know, and it was, God damn it, Bette Midler, you have fucked me for the last time. It was the only, it was the only thing I remember from the dream. Well, that's really <laughs> horrifying. It is. It is. And I, 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 I'm trying to figure out in what way Bette Midler betrayed me. So. I mean, was it, did, was she doing Beaches too? <laughs> really, I, I, I don't. Any, any film work at all would be considered a betrayal. <laughs> Hocus Pocus, the sequel. Yeah, again, any film work at all, Paul. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Bette Midler. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I can't imagine what precipitated that. But uh, I, I remember waking up going, "Well, that was weird." <laughs> we, we can tag her on Twitter and ask her what she did. Please do, please do. Well, only after I post the episode, of course. Right, right. We'll get to so, the bottom of this. <laughs> well, unfortunately, well, I guess uh, fortunately, unfortunately, depending on who you are, um, Wayne is not here this weekend. Um, he is taking a picture with Matt Smith, Doctor Who. Um, he is at St. Louis Wizard World. Yes, uh, Wizard World St. Louis. Wizard World St. Louis. And uh, last night he posted a picture, and uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll include it on the show notes or um, whatever, with uh, Burt Ward and uh, Adam West. Or is it more of a Harry Potter-themed convention, whereas it's the Wizarding World of St. Louis? Ooh, that would be much more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his picture with uh, Burt Ward and Adam West is um, – it looks kind of like a mugshot. Oh, you've seen it already. Yeah, yeah. He posted it on Facebook the other day oh. or last night. It's um, the, the the actors have seen better days. No, Wayne no. is the best looking guy in that photo. Bart Ward and Adam West are timeless, Paul. They're timeless. If by timeless you mean ancient, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they just uh, they they they've lived a full they, they they've lived a good life. Huh. Yeah. Are you um, saying they're a little road hard, hung up wet? They they really do. They they, they look a little rough. I mean, it, it doesn't look, it looks like they rolled out of bed, sat on a stool and said, OK, just start wheeling the people in and take the pictures. Huh. Huh. Yeah. 
But, you know, that being said, I'm sure Wayne was very happy to meet them, and we'll talk about his experiences next week when he's back on the show. Was Wayne wearing any kind of costume in, in, in the picture, or is it, was he just wearing his Wayne suit? No, he went to the Paul school and, you know, wore a button-up shirt. Really? Yeah, he dressed up for his school photos. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> so this is what happens. We just gossip about other people. <laughs> <when they're not laughs> yeah, the, the guys who didn't show up to the show. So, well, Andrew, what's that guy's deal? Oh, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> So this week, well, I, I am glad Andrew's not here. I, I, I same here. Fuck that guy is what I say. <laughs> because this is this is a horrible show. Um, <laughs> because this week was freaking April Fool's Day, mm. and, and we know how that goes. Well, and I tried on you. I tried to. I tried to April Fool you. Yeah, but it was in a conversation about April Fools. True. So. Yeah, but see, see, that worked last time. <laughs> Fool me once. <laughs> 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 um, yes. So bleeding cool, you know, they go, I, I hate April Fool's Day. I hate, you know, cause I mean, everyone posts the, these fake news articles and they just piss me off. Um, like Brian Michael Bendis posted that the amalgam, they were going to do another amalgam universe. And I'm like, fuck you, Brian Michael Bendis. Well, cause I would, I would have loved that. Yeah. Same here. Would have been all over that. And you know, cause that's what they do. They post news that you want to see. That's never going to happen. Um, now one thing that was, so bleeding cool does, you know, a, a series of articles, and at the end of the day, they say, okay, these ones were fake, these ones were real. And um, one of their news articles was that Dick Tracy was going to solve the disappearance of Little Orphan Annie in his comic strip. Um, and, you know, in their article, they say that Little Orphan Annie, which was one of the world's longest-running comic strips, from, running daily from 1924 until 2010, um, kind of became an action-adventure thriller in its later years. And the final strip of the series had Annie kidnapped by Mexican drug lords, believed to have been killed by them, only to be rescued and held by an escaped war criminal, and Daddy Warbucks believing her to be dead. And that's how the strip ended. And you know, apparently what has been announced, or according to the article, what has been announced is that um, the, the characters and the disappearance of Little Orphan Annie will be solved by Dick Tracy – in his, uh, like I said, in his strip that is currently running on um, online, uh, written by Joe Staten with uh, art, or no, I'm sorry, artist Joe Staten with writer Mike Curtis, and you know, sounds like an April Fool's Day joke to me, right? Well, and I mean, how familiar were you prior to uh, this article on the state of Little Orphan Annie? Yeah, none. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't realize. I, I to be honest, I thought it was still running. Uh, see, and I I thought that it ended years ago. I mean, I, I mean, like years and years ago, not just you know back in 2010. I just would have assumed that it ended like in the 80s or 90s. <laughs> I just kind of assumed it was still running and just no one was reading it because I mean, you right? Know, I mean, strips aren't really a big thing anymore. Yeah, like fucking Ziggy, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, it's real. It is a real thing that Dick Tracy is going to investigate the disappearance of uh, Little Orphan Annie. And I don't find that nearly as hard to believe as the Little Orphan Annie, you know, abducted by the Mexican drug cartel. I mean, that's that real, seems too. so outside of the Little Orphan Annie, you know, uh, type of type of story. Now, I say this having never actually read a Little Orphan Annie comic strip, but, you know, given – Given the animation style, given, you know, the musical. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I just, wow. I mean, you know, the sun may come out tomorrow, but, you know, is she going to be, you know, a crack whore? Yeah. Uh, I mean, she more? turned into uh, the girl from Taken, basically. 
And, uh, you know, Dick Tracy won the Harvey Award in 2013 for Best Syndicated Strip. But I, 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 I'm sorry. <sighs> I, I can't think of the last time I opened up a newspaper and looked at a comic strip. Well, and I don't even know if Dick Tracy is running yeah. in, com- in, you know, in newspapers anymore or if it's just online. Um, you know, and the thing is, I love the character of Dick Tracy. Yeah. I love that character. I love, um, you know, I, I did read the comics, uh, uh, you know, when I was younger. And, um, you know, I, I, I loved the movie. I'm one of the few out there who, who loves the hell out of that movie. But, you know, I mean, I think you are the only one who is that people. <laughs> but, you know, the fact, <laughs> probably. But, you know, the Dick Tracy apparently runs daily on gocomics.com. And are they new comics? Yeah, new strips. Really? Yeah. Wow. I see. I did. It's always amazing to me that you know, the, the, the things you can find out listening to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I, I really – I had no idea. I mean the uh, – who reads it? And I, I guess that's my thing is is nobody really buys newspapers anymore. So you know, I hear that you know, the, the Dick Tracy comic is on the web. I know that – isn't Ron Mars writing for a Tarzan strip that's on the web? He's writing for um, a couple of characters created by Edgar Rice Burroughs, not specifically Tarzan. Okay. I thought I saw that he was doing some Tarzan strips on the web, but maybe I was wrong about that. I think it's Tarzan's son. Gotcha. So, boy. Boy. (laughs) (laughs) Weird. Well, I think this begs the question, is Gasoline Alley still in print? Maybe. What what about about, uh, Rip? uh, What is that? I can't remember. (laughs) <laughs> nice try, though. Yeah. It, 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 it was a worthy effort. It was. It was, yes. So um, if you go to – you can actually buy Calling Dick Tracy Volume 1, which is Volume 1 of the new Dick Tracy um, strip series uh, by Joe Staten and Mike Curtis. It's um, It looks like it's like $2.99 uh, if you buy it through Kindle or, mm-hmm. or it's available um, through iBooks on Amazon. Really? Yeah, and it, I mean, it, for uh, only a couple bucks. I mean, yes, you can read them for free online as well. But sure, but it's I'm nice to have them collected. Yeah, I'm going to check it out. I, uh, I, I, I will. I, I tell you what, Paul, I'll pick that up and we can talk about it. Oh, fantastic! And, but you know, um, I love those comic strip collections. Like I've got the uh, Star Trek. You know, the, after the uh, Star Trek the Motion Picture, they did a weekly comic strip set in the movie universe, and so I've got that collected. Uh, IDW did a beautiful hardbound collection of that. And then I've also got the uh, Silver Age Superman strips, the first volume of that, which is uh, 1959 to 1961. And they're mm-hmm. about to come out with the second volume of that. And they already have a beautiful uh, collection of the Sunday strips, you know, which are in full color. Um, you know, so I love those, those collection of those strips. I just really I guess I had no idea that uh, some of these, you know, veteran comic strips were still around. Yeah. Well, and not only are still around, but I mean, Little Orphan Annie. Taken. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say that one more. One more time. Taken hostage by drug lords. <laughs> yeah, that that seems a little outside, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it seems I mean, little... part of me feels like you're about to go April Fools. <laughs> uh, and that's what I thought, but no, it is real. And um, I will. Uh, I, I I'm, I'm when the story starts, which it starts June 1st. Rem- and remember, that's GoComics.com. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I will check it out. You know, the thing about – I haven't read – you know, I, I never got into strips that were sequ- sequential strips. Uh-huh. Like I love Calvin and Hobbes and Garfield and the usual, but I, I never got into those strips that were basically three panels of an ongoing story. Well, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, you know, like the, the weekly Spider-Man series that Stan Lee and uh, John Romita did. 
Exactly. Um, while I, you know, I love the artwork in it, it was always just too hard to track to the story. You know, I didn't want to read three panels a day, you know, six days a week with, you know, some kind of recap on Sunday. Um, yeah, that never got me, but I do like seeing them collected. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, things like Dick Tracy and all of those Superman. Um, I mean, they read great collected, not, you know, just not a huge fan of them, uh, individually but yeah well, all right well you know and I, I know that you enjoy your garfield collection you know yeah uh, it, it's on the, my top shelf like god damn it that cat loves lasagna do, doesn't he and i do too <laughs> I, I am very similar to garfield <laughs> and he hates mondays mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> aaron is like my odie Ah, okay. Next subject, so, please. <laughs> <laughs> so we have some family business to attend to, Aaron. Oh, I think I have a problem. Oh dear. So this week, I may or may not have purchased a lot of stuff. Oh God, what'd you do, Paul? Is this where you ask for a loan? <laughs> I'm doing it on the show, so you have to say yes. <laughs> um, I uh, I may have purchased. A New 52 Bizarro action figure. Oh, dear. An Arkham Origins Bane action figure. Oh, my. Um, a New 52 Supergirl statue. Good grief, Paul. And a Parademon action figure. Are you made of money? Uh, n- I Not anymore. <laughs> what, what possessed you, Paul? Well, okay, so the Parademon action figure was inspired by m- me receiving my Darkseid action figure last week. And, and it he has was, uh, he, he was lonely. He was lonely. I mean, there's a picture of him on the back of the box surrounded by parademons. And I'm like, that is awesome. Um, but I only bought one so far. Um, I bought mine as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just seemed like, a, like you can't have Darkseid without a parademon. That's right. Well, and I, can, we, can we just pause for a moment and talk about how well sculpted the parademon is? Both figures, really. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the parademon is I mean, I would say uh, the Parademon and Darkseid are probably the best of that series of figures. Um, I mean, I just they're they're highly detailed. Uh, the the articulation is fantastic on them. And my only complaint about the Parademon is that there's not a wings option. Yeah, it seems a little. I mean, you think that even if they were just in the box and you could snap them on or snap right. them off. Yeah, because I mean, I'd love to have the have the wings on this guy. You know. But maybe, maybe they'll, they'll come out another version. Yeah, maybe they'll do a series two. You know, because mm-hmm. uh, I mean that would be awesome. But I love this guy. Oh yeah, he's awesome. I mean, it's a more recent release, so maybe you know, like you said, maybe there will be a series two. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as the Bizarro action figure, you know, DC has been releasing their Forever Evil action figures, um, and it it just came out this week, and I saw it, and it was nice and cool, and I like the you know I like the level of detail on it, and I like the new Bizarro um, look. Or B zero, as he's called. Right. Um, so I picked it up, and uh, you know the Arkham Origins thing. You know I've been picking up the Arkham Origins action figures, and I specifically held off on Bane. Um, but I saw online it was fifty dollars, and I was like, I remember that being twenty five at my comic shop. And I double checked with my comic shop, and he's like, Yeah, it's it's twenty five. Um, so I went ahead and picked it up just to be safe, because I don't want to I don't want to not pick it up and then have to pay fifty dollars when I really want it. Right. You didn't want to miss out. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. And the, and the Supergirl also came out this week, and it's one of those series of the Kotobukiya. Yeah. Those are um, nice. Yeah. The, and they released a Supergirl, and it was only 40 It was only, only – but it was 45 bucks, which yeah. is – That's not significantly bad. Significantly cheaper than some of the other statues. No. I, in fact, that whole line of the Kotobukiya, yeah. uh, that whole line of those statues, very reasonably priced. Yeah. And you so I, I decided to go ahead and you know give it a, a, a home. 
Well, and I, I think I will also wind up picking that up, but I just didn't do it this week because, I, you know, I have the ability to say no, Paul. You have self-control. I do, yes. I mean, that is, that my whole life has been about nothing but self-control. That seems unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know who else had some family business to attend to this week? Spider-Man? Spider-Man. In his original graphic novel written by Mark Wade. Yes. Well, and James Robinson. Yes. Oh, it, it uh, wasn't all. It wasn't all Mark Wade. No, huh. I didn't catch that. But okay. So this is the second in Marvel's new series of original graphic novels. The first being Avengers: War Time, which was the Warren Ellis um, written Mike McCone, Mark McCone. Yeah, Mark McCone. Uh, Mike McCone. I'm sorry, Mike McCone. Drawn. I believe it was. Uh, I, I believe it was the lesser known Mark McCone. <laughs> it was his lesser, lesser known older brother, Mark McCone. Um, <laughs> they did a graphic novel called Avengers War T- Endless Wartime, which we read, and I think we talked about it on the show, and we didn't actually care for it. Correct. Um, and so I believe the, the same situation as that book, which was me purchasing it and giving Aaron the free digital code, Woo-hoo! Uh, occurred with this with this one, yeah. uh, Spider-Man Family Business. Um, I, I wanted someone to read it with me, and uh, you know, because big fan of Mark Wade, and the art was by Gabriel Del Alto. Um, and, uh, so what'd you think, Aaron? You know, I, I, I'm going to talk about it in two different ways. We'll talk about it just as a story on its own. And I thought it was entertaining Uh Uh, and the artwork was lovely. Uh, I really thought the, the, the artwork had a, a bigger than your weekly monthly comic kind of feel to it. It had an event level, uh, quality to the artwork. Um, and I really dug that and responded to it. I loved how Delato made the distinction between what's happening now versus what's happening in a flashback or happening in uh, Mentolo's head, right? Um, so I, I kind of dug that. What I did not care for is it didn't feel like a Spider-Man story. Um, you know, the, the, the setup on the story is, uh, you know, we all know that uh, Richard and Mary Parker, Peter's parents, were spies, and, you know, that that was a uh, – what did that – that was created, what, in the 90s? I think? Yeah, I believe that was in the 90s. I think that was a David uh, Michelini. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we, we tag back to that where, you know, Richard Mary Parker, you know, were this, you know, spy couple. And Peter runs into a woman claiming to be his long-lost, never-knew-that-he-had sister. And, of course, we all know as we're reading this, well, this can't possibly be his sister because, you know – that just that just changes his character completely if he's got family other than Aunt May, right? So, you know, I never really buy into the fact that it's his sister. Plus, you've got a character in the background that they introduced pretty early on who has the ability to screw with people's minds. So, again, seems pretty unlikely that this is his sister. And what do we find out? Yeah, this isn't his sister. But it does uh, it, it does spawn the story out into Peter Parker, Super Spy. And it, it, while I enjoyed the story as, as, uh, you know, just on its own merits, it never at any time felt like a real Spider-Man story to me. It didn't feel like anything that Spider-Man would ever do. And, um, I, I have to echo your, your sentiments here. It really, big fan of Mark Waid. Yeah. I, I, you know, preface by saying that it really felt more like a Batman book. Yeah. No, I would agree. I could see Bruce Wayne on this adventure with his unknown sister. Um, you know, uncovering secrets about, you know, uh, Martha and Thomas Wayne, but Spider-Man, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, Spider-Man has that mythology that Richard and Mary Parker were super spies, 
But, you know, 75% of the book, he's not in any kind of costume, which, you know, again, not a huge complaint because it's nice to see Peter Parker um, in an adventure, but it, it just it's not the type of adventure we usually see Spider-Man on. Um, you know, and I'm okay with them branching out. It just, like you said, it just didn't feel like a Spider-Man book necessarily. Right. Well, and, you know, I, I gather the timing of the book is to, you know, have a new OGN on the shelf for when Amazing Spider-Man 2 comes out. Um, but if you're picking this up because you enjoyed the movie, I don't think you're going to have the same kind of Spider-Man experience. And I'm not saying we got to continue to tell the same type of Spider-Man stories. I'm just saying that. You know, Dan Slott told a new, a new different kind of Spider-Man story, but still kept it feeling like Spider-Man. And this was so far outside the box. I really think you could have taken Peter Parker and Spider-Man out of this and put almost anybody else in. And like yeah. you said, I think it certainly fits a, a Bruce Wayne much better than it fits a Peter Parker. Or hell, even a Hawkeye. Yeah. You know, a Hawkeye has a sister that he never knew about. You know, I mean, it, like you said, they're almost interchangeable, the characters. It's not – there's not a lot of specific Spider-Man, you know, iconic yeah. uh, stuff in this. And, and, and you know oh, – go ahead. Well, I appreciate it. There's a – you know, the – the it is very much a, a born – uh, you know, type of story or a James Bond type of story because, you know, it, it crosses the globe. We go from Monaco to Cairo and, you know, we're, we're, we're deep into something that looks like an Egyptian tomb. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's we're, we're chasing lost Nazi gold. And there's this great scene where Spider-Man goes, wow, this is really more kind of a Captain America thing. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> you're in the wrong book, chief. But uh the artwork is really quite stunning. I mean, the, the, and this, this is the first time on, on any of these original graphic novels that we've had, uh, from Marvel over the last couple of years where I felt like the artwork was up to snuff, where the artwork was worthy of the event, you know? Uh, and so while I don't feel like the characters were well placed in this story, I think the, the artwork was just amazing. And, you know, even, even the fact that I do feel like maybe, I think they were trying to think outside of the box with Spider-Man. And, you know, they were probably told to incorporate some of the Richard Mary spy stuff because that's part of the movie. Um, I still enjoyed the book. I really did enjoy the book overall. I mean, is it a Spider-Man is, you know, is it a Spider-Man story for the ages? Not necessarily, but I mean, it, it's an enjoyable book. Well, and um, it does end on a cliffhanger, you know, or, or, or a teaser, I should say. Yeah, I mean, so you'll see some writer in about 15 years probably do something with that. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I wonder, is that – was that left there so that uh, Mark Wade and James Robinson could come back with a follow-up story to this? Or was it left, you know, just as a, you know, as a random tease? It's hard to say, you know, because I, I – reading it, I felt more of the latter. Yeah. Like, you know, it, um, you know it's something that they, they left it with a tease that – they, you know, unless the book sells like gangbusters, you know, we'll, we'll never see addressed in continuity. Right. Overall, you know, I will say I do think that Marvel does not have the right price point on their OGNs yet. How much was um, this? 25. Well, that's a little steep. Well, fine. It was only what? 99 pages. Yeah. I mean, great. I mean, the, and I'm not complaining about the quality of the book or, you know, the quality of the art or the creative team. Um, you know, all were a, all were a, you know, a plus, but 
you know, I really think there's got to be a better price point for these OGNs if you want to bring in, you know, new readers. I think 15 to 20 is kind of the max you can go with it. Um, so, you know, and it seems like other companies have, have realized that, you know, Hellboy graphic novels are, you know, cheaper, you know, image, I think Ravine was only 10 bucks, you know, that kind of thing. Well, um, Image does a great job on their volume ones where, you know, they tend to be nine ninety nine, like Saga, for instance, uh, you know, uh, Manhattan Projects, uh, you know, all those volume ones tend to be nine ninety nine. But I wonder if they're able to they're only able to do that because they made money on the floppies before they you know kick it out to a collection. Yeah, and that's possible. And you got to make your money back on these. And I get that. So, I mean, and the fact that they're including the digital copy, I mean, if, if you can get a friend to split the cost with you, one of you gets a digital copy, one of you gets a print copy, you know, then, then I'd say go for it. it. It is worth reading. Was I supposed to split the cost with you on this? No, no. I offered it Ooh. to you before. All right. Whew. Dodged a bullet there. Excellent. <laughs> so that, and it, from my point of view, that's the better relationship. Have a friend who buys the hardback and then just gives you the code. <laughs> that, that would be my recommendation to, to listeners out there. Find that guy. Yeah. There's, there's got to be one of the Set up a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the other day, I saw Captain America the Winter Soldier. But didn't you also see Captain America? Didn't you go see a double feature, Paul? I did. So there's a story here. Oh, dear. So I um, I got my ticket. So AMC Theaters, and I think other theaters were doing it, but I went to one at an AMC theater, um, did a Captain America double feature featuring Captain America the First Avenger and Captain America the Winter Soldier. Now, I have always wanted to attend one of these events. Um, they do them for The Hobbit. They do them for you know all the Marvel movies so far. Um, they even did it for the, the last Insidious horror movie. They did a double feature. Um, I've just not been able to, to make one. Um, but I, you know, I was able to do this one and it was, um, a double feature, which was surprising. I'm surprised they didn't include Captain America, the Avengers and then Captain America too. Um, but it was Captain America and then Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And, um, it started at 5.30 on Thursday with Captain America, the Winter Soldier at eight. <clears throat> and I really enjoyed this experience. Um, both films were in real D3D. And so, you know, the first one starting at 5.30 ended around 7.30-ish. Um, and like I said, with the second movie starting at 8, basically you have a half hour to go hit the restroom, get the concessions, and come back um, because they had trivia between the movie. Like someone from the theater came in, and they had trivia for prizes. <laughs> and um, I actually won. Oh, what'd you win? I won Special Edition Winter Soldier Real D 3D Glasses. Um, that are designed like the Winter Soldier's mask. Uh huh. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Uh huh. <laughs> what, what was the question? Um, the question I won on was, what is uh Steve Rogers um like? He what is his other skill outside of being Captain America? Artist. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, in the first question they asked, so here's what happened. The first question they asked was, what was Captain America's first appearance? And I'm like, that is too obvious. And some guy raised his hand. He's like Captain America number one, and he won these 3D glasses. I'm like, really? They got to go a little harder than that. <laughs> and so the second question was, you know, the one that I answered, and I won a T-shirt that was a large. <laughs> and I was like, hey, 3D glasses guy, do you want to switch? <laughs> and you know, the shirt was in his size, so we switched, and I got the 3D glasses. Um, but they also gave out like a night at the movies and stuff like that. 
And then 10 minutes before the movie, uh, the second movie, they had like a little um, interview, uh, like, a, you know, they played, um, you know, like a behind the scenes interviews with the cast and crew of the movie. Um, you know, leading up to the movie. And so it was a really cool experience. You know, I, I w- there wasn't a lot of time between the movies um, and the time that they did have, they filled with fun stuff. So I, I, I enjoyed it. Cool. Um, and now I'm not going to, we're not going to review Captain America Winter Soldier on this week's episode because Aaron has not seen it yet. I will see it tomorrow morning. That being said. When all good little boys should be in church, I'll be at the Church of Cap. The Church of Cap. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it is, um. It is my favorite Marvel movie so far. You know, every review I have seen has said that it's the best so far, which I mean, it is. that's pretty high praise. It, and it's deserved. Yeah. Um, now, I do not watch the TV show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and I'm treading carefully here. Yes, sir. But I do not see how the events of this movie cannot influence that TV show. Well, and I think they do based on previews that that uh, on this week's episode. So I would say if you are an avid watcher of that show, but on the fence about Captain America, see Captain America before you see next week's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Do you honestly think that there could be anybody who loves Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. but has no plans to go see Captain America? You know, I did. You know, I was talking to someone the other day um, and, you know, they, they like the Marvel movies. They like Iron Man. They're like eh, Captain America. You know, it's kind of like someone who likes Batman but doesn't like uh, Superman. I think Captain America, you know, Captain America, the first movie, I believe, is kind of um, not one of Marvel's top grossing films. Well, you know, I have to say that in terms of rewatchability, it's the one that I go back to more frequently. It is. And, you know, I did, you know, watching in the theater again, because I, I intentionally haven't seen it over the last couple of months. Right. Um, it, it, it's still fantastic. And I know it's only a couple of years old, but it is a fantastic movie. And the first film's far – I mean the second film far surpasses it in every way. Well, I can't wait to see it. It is an amazing movie. Highly, highly recommend you see Captain America the Winter Soldier. Well, I will see it tomorrow, and we will talk about it next week in great detail. Mm-hmm. And um, in other movie news, they're making a Dreadstar movie, Aaron. Get out! They are making a Dreadstar movie. Um, I'm sorry, I'm stunned by this. So Tell me more. Paul said he Bender, had some Dreadstar, Dreadstar news for me, so my head's about to spin off my body. Tell me, Paul. Don't hold back. Tell me. God. Uh, all right, all right. Uh, Bender, Spink, and Illuminati Entertainment are teaming up to develop a big screen adaptation of Dreadstar, a cult favorite comic book series from the 1980s created by Jim Starlin. Um, J.C. Spink of Bender Spink, whose recent whose recent credits include Where the Millers and the Incredible Burt Wonderstone will produce with the Illuminati's Ford Little Gilmore. Um, apparently, these guys are huge fans. In fact, this guy right here, uh, J.C. Spink, says, uh, This comic made an impression on avid reader Spink, who said, quote, Apart from Star Wars, this was my favorite science fiction story growing up, end quote. Um, when he learned the rights were available, he pursued them. So, uh, and, I mean, and from uh, Ford Little Gilmore, who who has written numerous comics, including the Thundercats comics for Wildstorm back in the early 2000s, says Dreadstar is one of the most important comics of the 1980s, paving the way for creators to control their own creations. After decades of Jim exercising that control and turning away countless Hollywood suitors, I'm excited he's trusting me and JC to do it right. So these guys are huge fans of the comic book, and um, they're making a movie. You know, I never, I never even would have thought about a movie for Dreadstar because I felt real for, for so much of my life. I felt like I was the only one who ever read it, you know, because um, back when it was when it was being published, none of my friends read it. Um, 
I love that story, and it has got such a rich backstory. Um, it is very much a, a space opera. Um, boy, wow. A, a live-action film, huh? Yeah, live-action film. Now, that being said, I'm a little concerned that the guy, you know, um, is behind Where the Millers and The Incredible Wonder Stone, which I hear are awful movies. But, <laughs> you know, there's a difference between, you know, a comedy project and a passion project. And you're not um, April fooling me here? I am not April fooling you. This actually, the news was yesterday. Wow. Um, and it was, it's on the Hollywood Reporter. Wow. I, I, th- I think that could be awesome. I really do. I think it could be awesome if it's, if it's produced well. Um, that, I, I, that it's got such a great cast. I mean, it's a cast of misfits, not unlike Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I, I think that, I think this, this could either be awesome or seem like a very pale, uh, ripoff of Guardians. Well, and that being said, I bet you a lot of it is writing on how Guardians does. Yeah. Whether we actually see it happen. You know, they, they've gotten the rights. It doesn't mean we're going to see sure. a movie. No, yeah. You uh, still haven't gotten it picked up by a studio, so. Yeah. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed that uh, Guardians does well and we see a Dreadstar movie on the big screen. And that would be awesome. That would be because you know what that means, Paul? Dreadstar hmm. toys. Ah. Uh, that means I could get me one of them great big, one of those axe handle swords like he's got. Oh, <laughs> so Dreadstar is not available digitally, though, is it? No. Well, no, it is. Um, yeah, has, they did the uh, collected volume. It is available digitally. Well, maybe I'll have to check it out. I have never read Dreadstar. Seriously. Um, oh, yeah. Dreadstar Omnibus is available on Comixology for 20, 20 bucks, nineteen ninety nine. I would like you to – you and I will talk after the show, but I would like for you to read Metamorphosis Odyssey first before you read the uh, Dreadstar comic from First Comics. Okay, I can do that. Metamorphosis Odyssey was the serialized comic strip that they did in Epic Illustrated uh, that is r- really the origin story of, of Vance Dreadstar. And it's it's very artfully told. Um, it is uh, – it, it, and it really there, – there's like a, a – there's you need to read Metamorphosis Odyssey, then The Price, and then Dreadstar. So I'll hook okay. you up. I got, I, got, I got you the hookup on this. Sounds good to me. All right. So in comic news, um, well, in specific comic news, um, you know, DC, um, for folks who subscribe to DC Comics, uh, yes, there are people who actually have subscriptions out there. Like have that um, to their home? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> they received a notice this week that their, that some of their titles would be replaced. So if you had a subscription to Teen Titans – your t- you, your comic would be replaced with an, a comic called New Teen Titans. You had a subscription to um, Nightwing. Your subscription will now transfer to a title called Grayson. So it seems to indicate that you know Dick Grayson is making it out of Forever Evil and will no longer be Nightwing. Huh. Grayson is not an interesting superhero name, but it w- it's interesting. You know, I'm, I'm curious to see what they do with the character. Huh. Did you? Uh, yeah. Did you read Action Comics 30 this week? I did. Did you notice they made a reference to something from uh, Trinity War? I did not. Where he kills uh, Dr. Light. Oh, yes, I did see They that. make a reference to Superman yeah. killing Dr. Light. Yeah, you killed so, Dr. Light. Yeah, Yeah. so I'm, I'm guessing that some of these stories are leaking out as post-Forever Evil. Gotcha. Because they had anticipated Forever Evil being done by now. Right. And, you know, with it being <laughs> delayed until uh, May, I think what we're going to have, unfortunately, over these next couple of months is a little bit of confusion with some stories taking place after you know, some stories taking place during and some stories taking place before. Right. So it's going to be interesting over these next couple months at DC. Um, but one of the new titles leading the charge um, came out this week, Aquaman and the Others, number one, 
which is uh, written by Dan Jurgens, art by Lan Medina, and is kind of setting up the um, – at least the first issue appears to be setting up the upcoming crossover Future's End. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about this in our interview with Ron Mars last week on Superman with Aaron and Pauly. And uh, I was looking forward to this. Um, you know, the, I, I wasn't sure the market could sustain another Aquaman title. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, character of the, uh, the characters of the others I found interesting in their appearances in Aquaman. And you know, I thought I'd give this a shot because I, I'm a fan of the creative team. And I, I have to say, Aaron, I didn't actually care for it. Nor did I. Um, you go first. Well, I, I got excited on uh, see, one, two, three pages in because, you know, you got the title page where it says Legacy of Gold. And gold is written very much in the Booster Gold uh, logo design. And I'm like, this is Dan Jurgens. Booster Gold's going to be in this story. You know, ah, I, I, yeah. I got all I did. I mean, I, I was like, oh, Booster Gold uh, and, and no booster. So I was disappointed in that. I, my problem with this book, it was well drawn. Uh, mm-hmm. I just don't care about any of these people. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd agree. And they didn't do anything to um, to make, to me, make care. me care. Yeah. 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 And I mean, it was very it felt like it very much depended on the fact that I had read the other's storyline in Aquaman. And while I've read some of it, I've not read all of it. And, you know, there was just nothing here. There was no there was nothing that brought me in. Yeah. You know, the, the thing about this book is that it is very much a show don't tell, and I know they say that in comics, show don't tell. Um, so you know, it tries to show who the characters are by their actions in and you know their current adventures, but it didn't really tell you who they were at all. And uh, you know, none of their origins, like you said, it kind of anticipates that you've already read the other storyline in Aquaman. Um, and you know, none of these characters are terribly interesting, right? To begin with, um, you know, as as side characters in an Aquaman book that pop up from time to time, sure. I'm not sure they were ready to launch their own title. Um, you know, and, and even though Aquaman is on the cover and, you know, it does pop up in the book, the focus is very much on the others. You know, Aquaman has his own book, so they try to focus primarily on those others' characters. Um, and I just – there wasn't – I didn't really find – there was nothing gripping to me about the book. Yeah, there, there wasn't. I mean – and. I want. I really did want to like this book, you know. Mm-hmm. I just didn't, and I don't know how I feel about issue two. I don't know if I'm gonna pick it up or not. I, I'm I'm on the fence. More than likely, I'm probably not going to though. Yeah. Um, unless I hear that it's a particularly good issue, I'm. Uh, I, I think I'm out, yeah. and I, I, I am. I am disappointed to say that because I was looking forward to this, and I am a, a fan of Dan Jurgens, and you know maybe it's just a rough start, but you know it, it's rough enough that there's not enough there to pull me back in for issue two. Yeah. It was disappointing because I, I was very much looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. But now a book that I thoroughly enjoyed this week, Earth 2, number 22, continues to just rock. You know, Tom Taylor and Nicola Scott are doing an amazing job uh, telling this other world story about the, the DC heroes of Earth 2. Uh, it was just fantastic, Paul. It really was. And, you know, so it has this Andy Kubert Green Lantern cover. And, um, you know, we, we've been kind of wondering what happened to the characters that were introduced in the book to begin with. Right. Um, you know, and so they're starting to to leak back in, you know, one at a time. We've got Dr. Fade. And in this issue, we do have an appearance of Green Lantern. But it still very much focuses on, you know, Hawkwoman. And um, my favorite new character is, uh, you know, the, the Lois Lane Red Tornado. Robot Lois. Robot Lois, who really is, you know, 
the book primarily focuses on. Yeah, and I mean, she's my she's the breakout character from this from this story. If if you want my opinion, I love Robot Lois. Oh yeah, me too. I mean, she's fantastic. She's yeah. so interesting, uh, you know. And you know, they find a Kryptonian, and she's training him because. You know, she's familiar with how Clark did it. You know, I love the scene where she's talking to him about how Clark used to shave. Right. Um, I just thought that was fantastic. And the ending was so well done. Um, you know, Robot Lois confronts Apocalypse Superman, you know, and right. uh, the, the look on his face is just priceless. You know, just a perfect cliffhanger. Yeah. But, I mean, there are, there are fantastic moments in this book. Like, for instance, Robot Lois teaches uh, – this other Kryptonian who we'll just call black Superman. Uh, <laughs> she teaches him how to fly. I think we can call him Zod. No, I think we can call him black Superman. Uh, <laughs> that is not the show title. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, but yeah, I mean, she, you know, she's teaching him how to fly. And then you've got this swarm of parademons uh, uh, leading the charge as, as you know, uh, apocalypse Superman is, is, is coming down on him. And there is this great scene where Robot Lois is being swarmed by parademons, and it looks very much like this uh, uh, piece of, I want to say it's medieval or, or perhaps, I think it's medieval art, uh, of a saint being, you know, set upon by, by demons. And uh, it's just, it, it's very much an homage to that. And I just, I love, I love the artistry on that page. Yeah, I know exactly what panel you're talking about. It's a very striking panel. Yeah, it is. It is. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, Superman just, you know, beats the tar out of, you know, this, this new kid Superman who barely knows how to fly, uh, you know, bloodies him up pretty bad. And Lois breaks in and, and you know, confronts Superman and says, hey, I'm Robot Lois. And, you know, Superman's like, oh, Lois. Mm-hmm. So it's good. It's a good panel. It's a good book. And I mean, just it is drawn beautifully. The story is told beautifully. There is there. You, you are tense because you care about these characters. I, yeah. I, I'm thoroughly digging this story. I'm and by you. the way, I need this ver- this Superman version action figure or statue. Yeah, I was about to say that. What we need is we need a line of action figures. We need Earth 2 Superman, uh-huh. Earth 2 Batman, Robot Lois yeah. and, and some parademons. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. Someone get on that. I will buy the. I will buy that that series. Yeah, you can leave Hot Girl out, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you know, I like the I like the design on her at least. Mm. Mm. She didn't do anything for me. Double Gun Hawk Woman. Except, yeah, did you like the scene where the Parademon just starts gnawing on her wing? <laughs> <laughs> it put me in mind of those chickens I found in my front yard yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> you, there were chickens in your front yard. There yesterday? were chickens when I came home uh, from the store, and there were chickens in my front yard. Were they asking to be eaten? I think fundamentally, that's what chickens ask for. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be in your belly. <laughs> I fry me up. <laughs> See, these are the types of things that happen in Texas. <laughs> chickens just come to you. They, they, yeah, they just they, they and force feed themselves to you. <laughs> They cook themselves and then force feed themselves to you. <laughs> you know, I, totally off topic. Um, <laughs> this week I saw a Lay's potato chip commercial. And I don't know if you've seen this, where you know Mr. Potato Chip or Mr. Potato Chip, Mr. Potato Head comes home and he finds Mrs. Potato Head eating Lay's potato chips in the cupboard or like in the in the pantry. Oh no. And she's like, they're so good. And then he goes in and he starts eating them too and closes the door. And I'm like, 
That is a horrifying commercial. That is pretty horrifying, but it puts me in mind of the season ender for The Walking Dead this week. Now, I know that you're not watching The Walking Dead, Paul. Correct. But uh, you read the comic till about what number? Um, I don't know, like one. Okay, so so pretty deep into it. Yeah. Okay, so you remember post prison where uh, Carl and Rick have escaped, and they they run into a gang of guys, and you know they 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 one guy tries to rape Carl. Do you remember that? I do. Okay. Well, they did that in uh, the season ender of Walking Dead. Mm Mm-hmm. And man, they didn't shy away from it at all. I mean, you, you, things were about to go really south, you know, the, and, you know, the, uh, the bad guys had captured Rick and Michonne and, and Carl and, and, but spoilers, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the guy whis- the guy Joe whispers to Rick, he says, you know, first we're going to take the girl and then we're going to do the boy and then we'll kill you. And so, you know, Rick is kind of struggling with the guy and he's, they've all been disarmed, you know, and they're all just helpless and the guy's holding Rick close and he's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And so Rick tears the guy's throat out with his teeth and spits the great big chunk of guy's flesh out onto the ground as, you know, blood just is squirting into the air. I, I have not reacted so strongly to something on television that hard in a really long time. I mean, I was laughing so hard and it wasn't a laugh of like, you know, this is hysterical. It was a laugh of just stunned, you know, it it, it was how I responded to a horrific, stunning moment. And I mean, I had to rewind because I lost like a full minute (laughs) in my response to it. It was a fantastic scene and it gets more barbaric than that after the fact. I mean, Rick just goes off. It was fantastic. Well, I'm sure I'll probably eventually see it. Maybe, probably not. So very much like the potato heads eating a potato chip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very, very similar there. Very similar. Very similar. I, I totally see how you can made that connection. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of which, so this week Starlight 2 came out. Yeah. And so Starlight, we talked about Starlight number one, written by Mark Miller, with art by Goran Parloff. And we talked about, you know, how... This is a Mark Miller we haven't seen in a while. You know, it's 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 a it's a good story about you know a a, a care you know a, a, an aging gentleman who who is you know going on one last adventure back to the the planet that you know he had his Flash Gordon like adventure on. And so in issue two, he meets a a young a, a young boy basically who comes to the planet because he he's heard stories of of you know this Flash Gordon like character, um, and he wants to bring him back to the planet to save them once more. And so I'm reading this book, and I'm waiting for the other Mark Miller shoe to drop. You know, I, 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 I kept waiting for, like, the guy to wake up and the kid's cutting out his kidney and leaving him in a tub full of ice <laughs> or something. You know, I, I keep waiting for something horrifying to happen, and it doesn't. It is genuinely just a nice, fun adventure story. You know, but you just have that Mark Miller connotation that the kid's just going to call him a cunt or something. You know, like <laughs> – I, I just kept waiting for it to happen, and it never did. And it was just nice. I enjoyed it. I love, you know, uh, he's flying the spaceship, you know, off of Earth. And the kid's like, shouldn't we cloak or something? I said, no, these people haven't believed me about this story in a long time. It's time to have a little fun. And, you know, I just I, I love how he's just kind of, you know, flying through domestic airspace and, you know, freaking people out. I The book had a real sense of wonder to it. Yeah. 
and, and I dug that. I really responded to that. And, and, you know, it followed up strongly on the promise of the first issue. Uh, I, I felt like the story's going somewhere. I like the character. It creates a compelling story as to why he would leave Earth, you know, because, you know, his sons really don't have time for him or space for him in their lives. You know, they want, they want, they want dad to be off in the corner and there when they want him, but they don't want to put the time in on the relationship. So you can see, why he would be willing to, okay, you know, my wife isn't here anymore. Uh, my son, my sons don't include me in their lives. I'll go off and do this other thing. I, 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 I love it. And I think that, I think that he, that Mark Miller has dotted the I's and crossed the T's on this story. Uh, I am, I'm digging where it's going and I, I am, I am confident that he's going to deliver on the promise. Yeah. And this is a story that I will not wait for the trade on. I'm enjoying it that much. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, Starlight, is a great book. Love the art. Love the story. Um, definitely recommend checking it out. If you're a fan of, you know, that type of Flash Gordon storytelling, it's almost like, have you ever seen that Disney movie Up? Uh, I have not. It's kind of like Up, but if you took Up and mixed it with Flash Gordon, that's what you got here. Or John Carter. Well, I only have one complaint about the book. Yes, sir. Um, and it's the cover. Um, there were two covers produced for the book, and digitally, uh, we were provided with the Bill Sienkiewicz cover. And I've never been a big fan of Bill Sienkiewicz, and I really don't think that the, the cover he did for this story represents the story well. I agree. I didn't realize that was Sienkiewicz, but now that you say it, yeah. I can see it. Um, yeah, I did not care for the cover in the slightest. And so my gripe about this digitally is that I wasn't provided a copy of the Goran Parlov cover. Um, and I really do think they should do that when you buy these things digitally. I think you should get both covers. I'd agree with that. And, and that, that, you know, Dynamite's great about that. Dynamite plugs, I mean, all 15 of the different covers that they do into their books generally when they, when they release it digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Image did not do that this time. And, I, and it really bums me because I know that I would have preferred the Goran Parlov cover. Yeah, absolutely. And you're not given the option of which one to buy. You know, you're only given when you buy it digitally. It's just the uh, Bilson Kevich cover. So hmm. a little bummed about that. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. Overall, though, I mean, uh, once you get past the cover, which, again, is not indicative of the art inside the book, mm-hmm. um, definitely a great book. Or or indicative of the tone of the story. I mean, when yeah, you look it's at much the cover, darker than you think. Yeah, I mean, that, that cover would suggest that, you know, that this is a melancholy story that – uh, you've got a character conflicted about choices, and you know I, I I didn't I don't get that from from the interior pages. So I mean I not only do I not care for the style of the cover, I don't think that the cover adequate adequately communicates the feel of of the story itself. So big fail on Bilson Kevich. How about that? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you you got to speak to the kids, Aaron. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so from Marvel this week, Moon Knight number two came out. Um, now, a, uh, a listener of, of Funny Books um, reminded us that we did not talk about the first issue on the show. Did we not? I thought we did. Did we? Okay. Well, then he just doesn't listen to the show. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I think that I went back and I looked in the show notes, and I didn't find it in the show notes, but I think that was just an oversight. I thought we talked about it, but maybe I'm wrong. we did too, but maybe that was one of the weeks we took off to do Batman or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, so Moon Knight, re- you know, recently restarted under the all new Marvel Now banner, um, written by Warren Ellis with art by, oh my God, why am I forgetting his name? It's Declan Shelby. Declan Shelby. Um, and so, you know, Aaron and I read the first issue. We didn't get a chance to talk about it, but the second issue came out this week. And so now's probably a good time to chat about it. What'd you think of uh, Moon Knight number two? Um, 
I really liked Moon Knight number one, if you'll recall. Um, I I think that it was a very unique take on the character. And I like that we didn't spend a lot of time with him conflicted with, uh, uh, you know, his origin and with his, you know, old supporting cast that seemed to be moving the character forward. Um, I really enjoyed that. And as much as I enjoyed issue one, I enjoyed issue two much more. Um, I think that, you know, Warren Ellis told a really unusual story in a really unusual way. And Declan Shalvey uh, really supported that strongly in the way he structured the panels and paced them and the use of negative space on the page. I mean, it was you, you essentially you've got this math on the page, you know, and, and, I, and, mm-hmm. and, and I use math loosely. You've, you've got an eight panel page that moves through the, the, the course of the, the initial uh, pages of the book, and we just start subtracting as characters are dying. And I just, I kind of love how visually that worked out. Um, I, I thought it was stunning and very effective for the type story that they were telling. Um, I also like the costume change. You know, in the first issue, Moon Knight was was very much his, uh, you know, wearing his city suit where, you know, it's okay for him to walk around in the jacket and tie, <laughs> you know. And uh, but this one is more of a, of a of a night combat suit, very reminiscent of Batman. Uh, but I, I dug I dug this new look for him. Yeah, um, I, I agree with everything you just said. You know, the, the way this book was written. You know, it is no one can do done in one stories, yeah. in my opinion, better than Warren, Warren Ellis. Yeah. You know, I mean, his stuff on Secret Avengers is some of my favorite stuff. Yeah. Uh, of his. And well, he seems to be taking. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. No, no, no. And I'm, I'm interrupting you. But I mean, Warren Ellis has such a knack for writing, not just a done in one, but this sort of tactical, strategic you know, crime story, you know, I, I, I can't think of anybody who does this better than Warren Ellis. Yeah. I, I agreed. And, you know, so this story is a done in one about a sniper. And like you said, you know, you've got these eight panel pages where we just start subtracting characters and, you know, that's the first eight or nine pages of the book. Yeah. Um, you know, half of the book is taken up in basically lead up to the main story. And the main story is almost entirely dialogue free until the last couple of pages. You know, my, my only, uh, my only, I'm not even going to call it a complaint, Paul, but I think they missed an opportunity, uh, particularly in the digital book mm-hmm. because, you know, those, those panels are static in terms of, you know, top left is the same character throughout that entire eight panel, uh, nine page sequence. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you've got character A who is always in that top left panel until character A is eliminated. Same thing with character B in the second in the second panel to the right. It would have been nice if in the guided view that they had done a full page and instead of, you know, it being a page flip, that it be a dissolve into the next panel. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, well, or, or maybe not even because I I, re- I like to read my comics primarily in page view rather than guided view. Right. But it, you know, if the pages had faded into another, right, it would have it would have felt more like an infinite comic. Right. And, 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 and I, I looked at a I, I tried to see if that was a setting. If instead of you know turning from page to page, you could just fade from page to page. But that does not seem to be a setting. Yeah. Um. Because I mean that that is definitely the preferred way to read it, and I I got to be honest, I, I I almost think this book works better digitally no, than I would agree. in print. I would agree, and, well, and in fact, I think in print I'd be annoyed by how much uh, negative space was on the page. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I, I don't know why I have that why why that doesn't bother me digitally, but I, I you know because I really do see the dramatic effect of it. But I, I think that would bug the shit out of me on the printed page. Well, in digitally, you know, you're looking at one page at a time, right? You know, whereas in print, you know, I can't imagine you know seeing two pages side by side that look like this, right? You know, and digitally, you're looking at one page, you flip, you look at the next page, and it's obvious where the changes are. Yep. Whereas if you're doing it in paper, it, it would be different. It, this is just. This is a perfect example of, of a book that is worth reading digitally instead of paper. Yeah. Um, and it's a great book. Um, it is actually my book of the week. I love the way the story was told. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm on board. You yeah. know, keep, keep, keep me with these, you know, as long as Warren Ellis is on the book. And I believe the first issue had art by uh, Gabriel Hardman, not Declan Shelby, which was my confusion earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, which is funny because didn't those guys – tag team a book previously i have a i feel like i've written a i've read a book where gabriel hardman and declan shalvey um tag team the art on it i don't remember what book it was but i don't know just rings a bell to me Hmm. um but i'm on board yeah and you know marvel has three titles that i think uh are rather eclectic in the way they tell the stories um, you know, and that those are, you know, Moon Knight that we just talked about. Hawkeye, I feel like, is in that wheelhouse as well and really kind of launched this style of storytelling for Marvel. And now we've got She-Hulk. And, you know, we've got She-Hulk number three this week. Yes. Um, and continuing to uh, – uh, continuing the good work of Charles Soule. Uh, Soule or Soul? I'm going to go with Soule. Okay. There's an accent on one of those letters. Okay. Soule. Um, so Charles Soule and Javier Polito, uh, really this strongly in the style of the Hawkeye book. And it does feel like we're breaking the, the, the boundaries of traditional storytelling, uh, in comics and thoroughly digging this. And these are three titles that I think work so well together that, you know, if you like one of these, you're going to like the other two. You know, mm-hmm. even though that that, you know, Hawkeye and She-Hulk both share a certain whimsy, the whimsy in Moon Knight is the way that the story is told, not necessarily the the uh, the carefree, friendly attitude of the character. You know, agreed, agreed. I mean, but, she's a very angry woman, but, you know, it's um the story is it's a fun story. And yeah. the Javier Pulido art sells it. It does. It does. And, you know. I this week's story has her taking on the case of uh, you know Doctor Doom's son trying to achieve uh, amnesty here in the states, and I love this story. You know, it, it was a it was a lot of fun. There's a lot going on the page. I mean, uh, uh, Javier Polito, you know, you said absolutely sells it. He he is storytelling uh, up to eleven just in, in in the panels. I mean, there's so much going on on the page. Yeah, you know the the indie sensibilities that Marvel's brought in to its to, to not all of its current books, but to some of its books. I mean, the, you know, ha- like you said, Hawkeye, She-Hulk, Moon Knight. Now, um, you know, they just have this indie feel to them, but they're still superhero adventures. Daredevil, you know, with Chris Somney and Mark yeah. Wade. Yeah. You know, they're big. They're they're big superhero stories, but you know, they're they're fun. You know, it's not. It, it, it's it's even different than some of the stories being told in Marvel's own universe, but they just have this this great feel, um, and that's why they're my favorite books. And yeah. She-Hulk is definitely amping up to be one of those. I love the way the story's told. I I love that you know even though it's written by a man, I think this book could appeal to women as well. Oh no, absolutely. You know, absolutely. I mean, 
I, I read She-Hulk issues two and three at the same time. Well, not at the same time, but, you know, um, both this week. Right. And, you know, there's a scene in She-Hulk two where, you know, her and Patsy Walker, Hellcat, just go out and have some drinks. Right. You know, and Patsy Walker gets drunk and just wants to go, you know, take down an AIM laboratory because she's drunk and angry. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I, you know, I love her character in the book. And, you know, she, she's kind of a joke, but kind of not. Right. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really enjoying She-Hulk. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good book. And I think that, that the three books that we just described, even the four books, you know, Daredevil, uh, I think, you know, is in that same group as well, as you said. But I think you could take any of those four books and give an, uh, you know, an issue to a new comic book reader and they could, they would, they could be sucked in. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas, you know, we, we get this, you know, Marvel Now initiative, you know, you got the, the Avengers Point Now book that's supposed to be new reader friendly. And I don't think they are. And not being a new reader, I, I really can't speak to that other than the fact that I think that I would have trouble uh, coming in on that book. But I think you could hand She-Hulk to somebody and, and somebody know what it is right away. I think you could hand Dare, Daredevil, you know, the, the, uh, what was that volume three of daredevil with Chris Somney and Mark Wade. Um, I think, I think (laughs) that you could, you could, you know, provide someone moon Knight or Hawkeye, Eh. (laughs) maybe Hawkeye, the right issue of Hawkeye, certainly. Um, and, and, and bring them into this world where they don't feel like they've got to have all this continuity baggage. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a continuity guy. I love my continuity, but that can be a little daunting for someone who's brand new to comics. But I think that, you know, for a, and, and to use the term in a non-pornographic sense, a mature reader, um, you know, somebody, somebody who's not just, you know, I, I want to see, you know, giant robots uh, blow up. You could hand one of these books to somebody, but still be able to embrace the fun because, hey, there's giant robots blowing up. You yeah. know, I, 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 I'm sorry. I think, I think that Marvel has done without creating a hybrid, you know, uh, publishing house within their organization for these types of books. They've incorporated a fantastic sensibility inside their own continuity without having it to be like a Vertigo book over in DC. And to tie things back a little bit with Moon Knight, um, you know, one book that I haven't mentioned, and it's only because, you know, we've only had one issue, but I hope that it continues that sensibility, is the new Secret Avengers book. Yeah. Very much could fit in that same category. Yeah, and like you said, DC really, you know, it, the Vertigo stuff is great, but it could use some of that flair in its universe. What they do is, but the, the, what they, what DC's doing is they, they bring those guys in, though. They bring Jeff Lemire over, and they bring right. Scott Snyder over, but they make them write. You know, but the, the stories they're writing are very much within the house style. Right. And, you know, we are continuity hounds and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to mess up any continuity. I like the fact that DC is, you know, tying in a stronger continuity, but it would be nice to, you know, you could have the alternative takes of the character still fit within continuity. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of it is that, you know, the Marvel universe is so big, they can tell their cosmic Avenger story while at the same time there's room in their universe for She-Hulk to do her thing. Agreed. You know, and that's what I love about it. You know, and um, so I, I remembered the book that Gabriel Hardman and Declan Shalvey previously tag teamed. Yes, sir. Was Jeff Parker's Thunderbolts book. Ah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I remember that. Yep. And so if those guys are on Moon Knight, sign me up because I, I love their art back then. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm loving it on Moon Knight. So, you know, Charles Soule, I, I really hope I'm pronouncing that right, wrote She-Hulk. And he also had a huge launch this week with Inhuman Number 1. Uh, with art by Joe Matarira, 
I can't believe you're skipping the the, the book that we have next in the uh, in the list, Paul. I'm not skipping. I'm just swapping them out because we're talking about Charles Soule. Fine. <laughs> Patience, Grasshopper. Okay. We'll get back to it. You got me all boned up for it. And now, uh, you know, it just seems like, ah, uh, yeah, we're not going to do that here. Now nah, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so Inhuman number one came out this week. Um, the much anticipated delayed book originally written by Matt Fraction. Um, so before we get into actually reviewing the book, I do have a couple of things I want to say about it. Oh, dear. Um, you know, Matt Fraction originally wrote it. Apparently, you know, there, there, I don't know if it was just his writing style or the way Marvel wanted to take the story, but, you know, he parted ways w- uh, on this story particularly, and they brought in Charles Dulay. Um, the book came out this week. If you have not read the book and you are planning on picking up Amazing Spider-Man number one when it comes out in a, in a couple months or next month, I think, you may want to wait because it, it is packaged for free in that book. Um, apparently the sales on Inhuman number one were not what they anticipated, so to increase you know visibility into it before issue two comes out it will be included for free in amazing spider-man number one you know uh, marvel has done that a couple of times over the the last week or so like they put the black widow number one book into one of their books i forget what the other one was uh but uh, yeah all new invaders was included yeah, in the all new invaders and you know both of which were stories i read both of which were stories i did not much care for um, and was surprised to find them inside the book, uh, another book that I had purchased. Um, I think it's a good idea on their part. I wish they were doing it with better books. Yeah. Um, and I think if they're just doing it on books that don't sell well now, so d- d- is that a- indicative of your feeling about Inhuman number one? No, I actually rather liked in- Inhuman number one. Um, I-, I enjoyed the both the story and, and I loved the artwork. Uh, yeah. The Joe Mad artwork was fantastic. Um, and, you know, it's funny, uh, you know, we, we catch a couple of characters who the uh, Terrigen Mists roll over them and so they cocoon up and uh, make their change. And, you know, <laughs> spoilers, um, we see this one character and we meet this character very much like an origin story, Paul. Uh, and oh, you, yeah. you're like, OK, so he's the inhuman. You know, he's the he's the guy we're going to be following. And so, you know, you, you've got this this guy who. You know, when he, you know, goes into his chrysalis and, you know, goes into this cocoon, um, you know, because keep in mind that the, the moment the Terrigen mists fall over you, if you're going to be affected by them, you're affected by them immediately. And, you know, so you, you immediately roll into the into the uh, chrysalis. Well, this guy collects up his cocoon and takes him out to this remote spot. and He's going to to keep him company while he, you know, emerges from his cocoon. And it was such a bait and switch in terms of the story because, you know, you expect that, you know, based on the character you saw, he was an interesting character that you met at the bar. Um, you know, you really felt like you were following his journey. It's not his journey at all you're following, though. It's the bad guys. Um, and they just, you know, Charles Soule writes this amazing story where the guy hatches from his chrysalis and, you know, the bad guy kills him immediately. I mean, you know, really not much of an opportunity for for the guy to do anything. Um, And then you immediately go into this other. And, and, you know, one of those things that I was thinking, and this is one of those things that I always enjoy, is when I'm thinking along the same line as the writer. You know, when I've thought tangentially about something else and the writer does, you know, has given me enough where my brain automatically went there. Uh, but I started thinking, I'm like, you know, we're seeing all these young people who are being transformed by the Terrigen Mist. Well, what about older folks? You know, what about, you know, a, 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 a senior citizen? What about, you know, uh, someone who's mature? Well, 
we see this one where the sick woman is affected by the Terrigen Mist, and we see how that plays out. Um, and it's all very brutal. I mean, this is mm-hmm. this is natural selection turned up to eleven. I mean, it is uh, uh, it is inhuman what's happening to these people. Um, ha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I dug it. I'm in. And I, I you yeah. know, I think the the whole reason that this book did not sell well is because of the drama with Matt Fraction. Um, I think that had it come out uh, on the heels of uh, Marvel's Infinity. Um, I think that it would have done much better, you know, but I yeah, think there's too big of a gap between infinity and this book. Yeah, I agree. I think that's what hurt the book because if it had come out the week after infinity, which is when it should have probably come out, um, I, I, I think it would have done better because it's, um, it's a damn good book. I, I the Joe Mad art, I mean, I love Joe Mad to begin with, you know, I will pick up any book he draws and uh, I just, I, I loved it. it. It was perfect for this book. If we could have an entire book of nothing but Medusa sleeping naked, yeah, I'd, right. I'd be down for that. You know, I think inhuman, <laughs> I agree. I think the inhumans are a hard sell to begin with. Um, I don't think they are particularly, um, I don't think that they're well, well selling characters. I don't think they're, they're I, I think that the way they, those stories have been told in the past is that they're not very accessible. Um, and I have this always, I have always enjoyed the Inhumans, but this book was fantastic, and yeah. and I dug it a great deal. So I recommend checking it out, just for the Joe Mad art alone. But the Charles Soule story is 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 definitely worth it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm on board for issue two. Yeah. So Aaron, now we can talk about Caliban number one from Avatar Press. So you know, Paul made me read a couple of things with him this week. So I said, hey, you got to read Caliban number one, written by Garth Ennis with art by Facundo Persil. Well, uh, you don't have to convince me to read a Garth Ennis book, but a Garth Ennis Avatar book that you might need to talk me to and uh, talk me into a little bit because, you know, I know that I'm going to feel dirty coming out of it. (laughs) Well, you know, I I really like Garth Ennis's take on science fiction stories. I've read a couple of things by him that I've really enjoyed, and I think they've they've all been from uh, Avatar Press, to be honest. Um, I enjoy I enjoy his take on science fiction. You know, it's rarely ever you know pristine and clean it's not some star trek 23rd century future while i enjoy that a whole lot i do like my uh my 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 grittiness of of uh future technology stories as well and that's very much what you get here um this is the main character spends a lot of time talking about you know what a tumor earth is (laughs) and 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 this future and the uh there's not a lot in space you know they've not found other life out out here in space you know here it is uh a hundred years beyond the uh the the moon landings and they found a little bit of mold and they found a virus in space and that's really about it well that all seems to change in issue one so what'd you think paul so um so this very much felt like garth ennis writing his version of the movie prometheus yeah I very much got that vibe. Like, it, it, you know, Garth Ennis saw Prometheus and he's like, I can do that better. And so he decided to write this. At least that's the vibe I get from the first issue. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Um, I do, I did enjoy the book. Um, there's, it, it didn't have, for me, you know, going with a similar feeling book, I guess, or, you know, a similar, um, you know, science fiction storytelling. Um, you know, Letter 44, I felt had a stronger first issue than this did. I would agree. But I still – there was enough here to, to draw me in for a second issue. You know, I don't know if it's going to go more Prometheus or if it's going to go more Event Horizon. 
Um, you know, as soon as we have, you know, some type of horrible, horrible rape scene or something, I'm out. <laughs> um, and, you know, again, that could just be me waiting for the Garth and a shoe to drop, just like I was waiting for Mark Miller to do something. Um, so that may not happen. This may just be aliens hunting down humans, you know, in a spaceship, or it may not be any of that. I don't know. There, there's a, it, there's a mystery there that's enough, intriguing enough for me to come back. Yeah. No, I, 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 I really dug where it went, uh, and I'm excited about the possibilities. You know where he's going to take it and uh, what it all means. I'm I'm excited about it. And so you know, for I, I really just described it as you know Garth Ennis writes Prometheus, and that's kind of the best way to describe it for me. You know, like you said, you know, it's about a, a group of folks in space. They are going through warp, and you know, they they basically in warp <laughs> accidentally warp right through another spaceship and keeping in mind that you know up until this point they've not ever encountered or even had a hint of an another intelligent space traveling race mm -hmm. and so you know it's like a it's like a uh, a warp speed traffic accident essentially that occurs mm -hmm. and uh you know both ships are melded together uh you know as they as they come out of warp uh, and it's you know the 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 antics and hijinks that follow um, <laughs> the shenanigans. <laughs> shenanigans. Yeah, I, I think that's what the the title of issue two. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I I dug it. I you know, there's a mystery here, and I, I want to know more about that mystery. Agreed. And so that is uh, Caliban from Avatar Press, available digitally and in comic stores. Yeah. Now, Paul, if I it's were someone who read Superman Unchained, and I am not. Um, shouldn't I have a Superman Unchained issue waiting for me right now? Shouldn't shouldn't I have something here? Why don't I have this Superman Unchained comic, Paul? What's well, happening? What the hell happened to my Superman Unchained? <laughs> if I was actually somebody who read Superman Unchained, I am mad for that alternate alternate universe, Aaron, that reads Superman Unchained and can't get a Superman Unchained. What the hell, Paul? Well, um, Jim Lee happened. God damn it! So, so you know, whenever a book like this comes out, you know, Newsarama goes. You know, and puts their top ten stories that never finished, right? You know, the, the top ten like stories that were announced and never came out, or started and never finished. And you know, about four of them on there are by Jim Lee. <laughs> I mean, you've got Wildcats, you've got All Star Batman and Robin, you've got Batman Europa. Um, I believe there's another one. Uh, you know, and it's typically, you know, it, it, some things are just announced and they just never happen. Kill Raven by Robert Kirkman and Rob Liefeld. Um, but there's only one on there from uh, Kevin Smith anymore. So, yeah. Um, or, um, the, yeah, Daredevil, the target, you know, stuff like that. You know, eventually there, you know, it, it, there are just stories that get started and never finish in comics. And hopefully Superman Unchained won't be one of them. Um but what happened is, you know, so Superman Unchained has seen frequent delays, I believe more than likely caused by Jim Lee being the artist. Um, now, issue, sub, issue 7, which was originally meant to come out in February, was delayed until April 30th. Issue 8, um, which was to come out last week, was delayed until the 20th of May. And the final issue was meant to have come out on April 30th, but, you know, was never solicited. And now DC has announced that both 8 and 9 have just been taken off the table. They've just been canceled. Orders have been canceled, and they will be resolicited at a later date, which means the earliest we'll get issue 8 is in July. If ever. If ever. You know, and it's... It, it, it's I, I, I know you are not a fan of Jim Lee. I am. But it is rather frustrating that a 9-issue series 
can't be seen to completion. I think that it's not beyond frustrating. I think it's irresponsible. Yeah. I think that, you know, DC Comics knew the risk when they put Jim Lee on this book. Um, and, you know, I'm, uh, Jim Lee won't do us dirty again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that uh, I think it's irresponsible. Yeah. Especially as co-publisher that yeah. he is. You yeah. know, and I understand that that may be, you know, those responsibilities are taken away from his time of doing art. But then really, you shouldn't have taken on the job. Right. Well, or, you and, know, transfer it to someone else. Have someone else do what you eat. And, and keep in mind that that the mandate on the new 52 is that the book ship. The books come out on time. That has been the mandate since going forward on the New 52. And it is shameful that co-publisher Jim Lee can't live by his own mandate. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, 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 I can't forgive that kind of behavior because it's so irresponsible. You know, and I mean, it's not like we've ever seen. It's not like we have seen Jim Lee able to produce steadily monthly in years. You know, I, we know this because I mean, he is a busy guy. I get it, but he he can't manage his calendar to deliver on that. And I, I I'm sorry, I think it's shameful. I understand. It's not easy. It's not easy to get a monthly book out. But then again, I go back to my point. Don't. Yeah. You know, just don't have Jim yeah. Lee do the first three issues. Someone else do the next three. Have then Jim Lee do the, the covers. Have him do the covers. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sorry. You know, have him do the covers or, hey, have him do an OGN that only gets solicited when it's all done. Yeah. Which at, at nine issues, that's 180 pages. Yeah. Could have done that with Superman right. Unchained. Right. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a real shame. I mean, we haven't been reading the book. Um, and, I, I, I had all intentions of finishing out that series. Mm-hmm. Um, I just was going to wait because I didn't want to deal with the delays. And, you know, the first couple of issues didn't really excite me. But I figured, you know, when it's all said and done, I do like Scott Snyder as a writer. And so I'd give it a shot, uh, you know, when it was all said and done. And now, you know, at this point, I'll just wait for the freaking trade. Right. Which is a shame. It is a shame. But you know now, what's not a shame, Paul? What's that? Our all new Superman with Aaron and Polly with special guest Ron Mars. What? I know, crazy. Dropped on Friday, so it's already in your feed. You, if you haven't, if you haven't uh, downloaded it yet, go get it now. Go get it now because it's just now. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, Superman with Aaron and Polly. We have moved to a quarterly format uh, for this year's episodes because we've got our Batman, you know, going monthly. Um, like you said, interview with Ron Mars. We talk about his three-part digital story, Adventures of Superman. Uh, issues 43 through 45, featuring art by Evan Shaner. We also talk about um, his favorite Superman stories and artists. We talk about DC versus Marvel. And Amalgam. And Amalgam. Not an April Fool's Day joke, but Amalgam. Yeah. And his work on Doctor Strange Fate. Mm-hmm. We also talk about his creator-owned stuff like Shinku. We talk about the Shadow of Shinku! Shinku! <laughs> and uh, we chat about uh, his appearance on Toy Hunter recently. So it is it is a real great listen, a great interview. Um, and so check it out. It's out right now on the feed. And so next week on Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. Next week? There will be another week. Wow. I think Wayne will be on next week, though. Eh. Eh. <laughs> so from Marvel Comics, all new Ghost Rider number two will be coming out. I don't know if I've talked anybody into reading it with me, but I'll be reading it. You have not. I think that uh, we have we, we have shunned you based on our Ghost Rider number one experience. I'm going to read it. Yeah. All right. All new Ultimates number one comes out as well. All new X-Men number 25 comes out, which is a big anniversary issue featuring a plethora of artists um, 
you know, with Brian Michael Bendis writing it, it's got art by like Stuart Amon and Bruce Tim and just a ton and ton of other people. Um, which means it is an oversized issue, which means it is going to cost you more than three ninety nine, but only four ninety nine. Um, also from Marvel Comics, we have Daredevil one point five, which is um, a, 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 a Daredevil fiftieth anniversary issue. Um, a standalone story that takes place on Matt Murdock's 50th birthday, written by Mark Wade, with art by Javier Rodriguez. Um, also features stories by special guest creators from Matt Murdock's past. Hmm. Yeah, sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, Iron Fist Living Weapon, number one. The uh, all-new Iron Fist book comes out next week, written and drawn by Care Andrews. Can't wait. I really hope it's good. It better be good. Better be Or I'm going to stab Wayne. <laughs> well, then I don't know which one I'm <laughs> Which one do I want more? Now, now I'm conflicted. <laughs> so we talked about Secret Adventures earlier on the show, written by Alice Coat, with art by Michael Walsh. That issue two comes out next week. We loved the first issue of that one. Um, Nightcrawler, number one, written by Chris Claremont, with art by Tad, Todd Nauk, comes out next week. I don't know. Are you picking that one up, Aaron? Maybe. I've never been a Nightcrawler fan. You know, I did not care for the recent Nightcrawler book. I Probably not. I like Nightcrawler, but I'm just, I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't. From DC Comics, Batman Eternal number one will be coming out, um, which is the all new Batman weekly book. Now, Paul, will uh, be saving that to talk about on uh, Batman with Aaron and Polly. Yes. So we will be talking about this week's release of Detective Comics number 30 and next week's Batman Eternal number one on our next episode of Batman with Aaron and Polly. So look forward to that in the next couple weeks. Um, also from DC Comics, Earth 2 Volume 3 War comes out which is written by James Robinson, art by Nicola Scott, and is basically the lead-up to the stuff that Tom Taylor is doing on the book. Oh, hmm. I don't know, but I don't know how I feel about this. It was the last story that James Robinson did on the, on the book. Um, features Earth 2 issues 13 through 19, Earth 2 annual number 1, oh, and Earth okay. 2 number 15.1. Gotcha. I think we actually did read yeah, it. Yeah, we read it in the floppies. I gotcha. Yeah, so um, if, if you're interested in what Tom Taylor's doing right now on the book, pick this up because it does lead into it. it it's does. not as good as it, but it does lead into it. But it, it, it is a, a strong launching point, so uh, it gives you a little additional flavor. Agreed. I wouldn't call uh, it required reading, though. Agreed. But I did feel like it enriched my experience. Uh, for Also from DC Comics, Superman Wonder Woman number 7 comes out, and the reason I'm mentioning that is because it is part of the Doomed crossover. Doomed. Um, from Dynamite Entertainment, we get the conclusion of King's Watch, written by Jeff Parker. Um, we get the continuation of Magnus Robot Fighter and Magnus Robot Fighter number two. Cannot wait. But perhaps more exciting than any other book that I've mentioned so far, other than maybe Iron Fist, is Jeff Parker and Evan Shaner's Flash Gordon number one. Oh, oh God. I mean, I'm going to take the day off of work. I'm just... I am so damn excited. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I am too. I, I can't imagine two better people to write that story. Yeah, I, I am freaking. Yeah, I, I will. I will probably read that before I go to work if it's available. <laughs> I, I'm going to read it instead of going to work. Uh, there you go. That's my move. I, I can't come to work today. I've got comics to read. I have Flash Gordon's out. That's right. Um, and if you are reading East of West from uh, Image Comics, East of West Volume Two trade paperback comes out next week. Only fifteen bucks contains the second story arc. It's a great deal. Um, deal. Yeah, called We Are All One. Uh, It's a fantastic book, and if you haven't been picking it up, highly recommend you check it out. Good stuff. All that and a ton more next week on Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. Very exciting. I'm excited. It was it was nice just you know keeping it old school today. You know keeping it real with just Aaron and Polly. You know we don't need those other guys. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I really thought we were going to knock this out in like 45 minutes since it was just two of us. <laughs> but uh, we are chatty dudes. Yeah, we are. We are. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. And just remember, Bette Midler, you've screwed me for the last time. For the last time. <laughs> Shaking my fist at me. <laughs> Out. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.